The key is no judgment. Not only can you have all of your thoughts and feelings, you shouldn't judge any of them. You're just looking for the information within them. And as you learn to find that, learn to separate that from the irritation or irrelevant, which is often about, you know, am I going to be successful or am I going to fail? It's like these worries, these normal human insecurities. Well, what's conviction? It's actually a strong emotion that's something that you're right. It's a belief that, you know, the price may not be going my way, but I seriously believe, i.e. I'm predicting that I'm right, i.e. I'm confident, that's the feeling, that my analysis is going to, you know, come true and other market participants are going to see it and the price is going to change in my direction. That's a, Those are all feelings. Those are all physical. But if it's a feeling about something that matters, like your P&L, or are you going to win the game? You can't talk yourself out of it. And the more you try to talk yourself out of it or stay defended against knowing it, the actually more intense and disruptive it gets. And then what happens is you eventually act it out. Welcome to the Alphamine Podcast with me, Stephen Goldstein, and my co-host, Mark Randall. We are delighted to welcome back the wonderful Denise Scholl, who is making her second appearance as a guest on the Alphamind podcast. Denise is one of the leading performance coaches in the trading and investment world. Denise has specialised in applying neuroeconomics and modern psychoanalysis in her work with hedge fund portfolio managers and high-performance professional athletes. She is also founder of the Rethink Group and author of one of the best-selling books on trader mindset, Market Mind Games. This is Denise's second appearance as a guest on the Alphamind podcast. Before we start, a few words about our sponsor, the Society of Technical Analysts, the STA, and their brilliant technical analysis home study course. The home study course is an online version of the full program, which is taught at the London School of Economics. If you are keen to develop your technical analysis skills and take your knowledge and understanding of them to the very highest level, then this is the program you should be considering. As one of the lecturers on the full program, I am fully aware of the high quality of the home study course, which has been written in partnership with many leading figures from the world of technical analysis. And since the STA is a not-for-profit body with a history going back over 50 years, you can be certain that only agenda is your education, development and growth. We are delighted to announce that the STA are offering a discount on the full cost of the home study course and the home study course and diploma program to listeners of the AlphaMind podcast. To find out more about the home study course and how to get the exclusive AlphaMind discount, visit the AlphaMind blog page where you will find a link to the home study course at the top of the page. Go to alphamindblog.blogspot.com or just Google AlphaMind blog. Now on with this week's podcast. Welcome to this week's Alpha Mind podcast, and we're delighted to have back Denise Schull with us. Um, you may re- remember that uh, at the start of the pandemic in America, when people started re- wearing masks, uh, Denise was on the show, and ironically, as mask wearing is being dropped in the US, we've gotten Denise back on the show. Um, Denise is a performance coach who uses neuroeconomics and modern psychoanalysts in her work with hedge funds and professional athletes. She is also the founder of the Rethink Group and focuses on the positive contribution of feelings and emotion in high-pressure decisions. And she's author of many books, many, many books, and I'm sure we'll hear uh, more from her. But Denise, welcome to the show. Perhaps frame yourself a bit better than what I've just done for the audience. (laughs) Thank you so much. That pretty much, you know, covers it. I mean, my background is neuroscience, trading, running trading desks, and somehow coming around unplanned to using modern psychoanalytic techniques um, to help people perform under pressure. Um, And the key is, you know, what the brain research says about emotion, just like you said. So we've built a performance coaching and, you know, talent analysis around what we think is this underappreciated aspect. Great. And I guess at the, at the heart of all of this conversation today, I think we're going to be talking about insight, impulse, intuition, instinct, all sorts of things, beginning with I, which I think tends to be a, yeah. common, a common denominator, apart from ego, of course. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, or not. Yeah, indeed. So the behavior side is, is something I know that, that, that Steve is super plugged into. Uh, I'm I'm very much in a, in a game around the work that I do, but of course we we face um, you know trading communities and traders with the, almost a holistic approach, which is almost which is has become very very welcome, and I guess it's almost become our IP in in the space. Um, but yeah, so um, tell us more of your stories, though. I mean, what have you found over over the year? Where do, 
if you could, went back to the beginning of your journey and now look at what we're doing now, has it changed much in terms of how you're doing things or has that, that baseline remained the same? You know, the funny thing is I was recently going through all of the talks I've ever given because I'm doing this live workshop this summer. And I was like looking at things from 2006. It's not that different. Uh, I mean, basically, the brain research showed back in the early 2000s that we have to have emotion to make a decision. And what that means in practicality for people who are going, what, what, what? It's like, if nothing else, confidence, right? You look at your data, your analysis, and you feel confident in some conclusion. That's an emotion. And you make the decision or take the action based on that feeling, not the cognitive piece. But in any event, um, when I first found this out, after like being a trader and running trading desks and reading market wizards and trading in the zone and every other trading psychology book you can possibly come up with, that hadn't really answered like some of the crazy performance problems I saw. Like my friend who got me into the business who could make millions of dollars and then lose it all in an afternoon on a repetitive basis. Um, I was like, wait a minute. If you have to have emotion to make a decision, like we can't take the emotion out of it. Because if we do, just like um, a CIO was saying to me last night, and this gentleman has $50 billion under management and 50 people working for him. He's like, you know, Denise, because I think I tried to suppress all my feelings because I was supposed to be calm no matter whether I won or lost money. And I realized I've suppressed my intuition. I, I, don't, I don't have access to it. Well, basically, back in 2003, when I found that out, I thought this makes so much difference. And I started talking about it and people started responding, I think, because it spoke to their experience. Like I gave a talk at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I think this was 2006 and it was one of the first talks I ever gave. And I had like 250 floor traders and my floor trader friends said they've never sat still for an hour after the close. But they came up to me and said, that's my experience. I could never tell anybody that I used my feelings, emotions, intuitions, because everyone thought I was crazy. But what you said. So the journey has really been about describing what the brain science says about this for the credibility of that. And then on the flip side, having traders and portfolio managers saying, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of what I was doing. But I won't tell anybody. And so it's really just taken on a life of its own, I think, because it's an accurate view of like human perception and judgment. Indeed, I mean, I, I, that resonates an awful lot with me because I, I sort of see it as sort of our, our, our temperature gauge, as it were. So we, we have a nice operating temperature around about 21 degrees that we, you know, we're comfortable in, where awareness is, is tuned to what's going on. We can, we, we can evaluate things and... And, and start to um, sort of formulate a strategy from that sort of state. However, if we're going to make a decision, we need to warm up a little bit. We need to sort of turn up the temperature, yeah. throwing some ego into that as well, um, you know, with, with that emotion. And, and then as soon as that trade is on, the risk is on, you need to go back to optimal again pretty damn quick. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you stay hot, the market owns you. You know, if the market mm -hmm. starts owning you, then you start walking into some tragedy of, you know, some some pretty bad trade and decision making around that. So this concept of temperature, and of course, getting too cold at the other end, complacency, you know, where you, you, you perhaps won so many times, you get step back and take things for granted. And then you lose all your process, you lose all your risk management, and then that can flare up into a massive loss. So yeah, getting back to optimal. I like that. Yeah. So managing that temperature band is, is how I convey it. And that, that resonates so well with people. Because we all know what right. 21 degrees comfortable feels like. But we know what 42 degrees feels like. And we know what zero feels like. You know, they're both, they're almost, right. it's almost like um, hyperthermia for traders. You know, there's the two yeah. extremes. Yeah, it's, it's a both. really good metaphor. Yeah, it's super cool. So I might have to borrow it. I will give you credit. But, you give me credit. Um, Great. <laughs> I will. Because um, I've had so many people borrow so much stuff from me. And I get, um, I'm, you know, credit where credit due. Because it, it is hard to come up with metaphors for mm. people to understand this, yeah. you know. I'll use, and Stephen and I have talked about this on Twitter, you know, I'll use surfing. And I used surfing last night with this client, and we were talking about surfing 
on different beaches with different, you know, size waves and different water temperatures and different amounts of wind. And, you know, you navigate that like you navigate different, you know, volatility states in the market. Um, but temperature is good because, you know, this is visceral intelligence. Mm -hmm. This is bodily based intelligence. So, you know, like I'm a little slightly warm right now. You know, I would know that I know what that feels like. I know slightly cold, just like you're talking about. I know really hot, really cold. So I love that. I love these different analogies. I'd like to share my favorite one with you, which is uh, one I use often when I'm coaching traders. And it's it's what I call the tightrope analogy or also the, the four inch beam might be a better description because uh, not everyone can walk a tightrope. I certainly can't, but... Uh, I can cross a four-inch beam sometimes with difficulty. Of course, crossing a four-inch beam when it's just, say, two feet above the ground is pretty easy. And, you know, almost everyone can do it. And if you can't do it at first, you do a bit of practice and then you pretty slowly, you're able to start crossing that beam and you start being able to go backwards and forwards, maybe even do a few tricks suddenly raise that beam to, say, 50 feet, 100 feet off the ground. And even though you know how to walk that beam, you know the mechanics of walking that beam, it's a very, very different activity. Because the emotions are highly charged. And the emotions are highly charged because you're not in your comfort zone anymore. You are at risk of falling, of, of you know, even, even if you have... A, a safety net and harness you're still not going to just cross it because you know you're vulnerable what if the safety net doesn't hold or the harness doesn't hold you know we, we are not able to just change our mindset because we know it's safe we're still gonna be nervous and anxious as we cross it so you have all these emotions now in play and they say you know professional tightrope walkers they say never look down you know, don't don't become aware of your vulnerability. Try and keep that out of your mind. You know, just look forward. Look forward at the challenge. Look forward at the goal. Do not look down. And if you look down, what happens is you freeze. Yeah, totally. Well, that's actually a key skill. The research actually shows that the better portfolio managers are in traders too. There's a separate piece of research. At being able to label their different feelings, particularly their so-called negative feelings, the better they navigate high-risk situations. So the irony is like being able to say, I'm afraid, literally calms you down. And the word's got to connect to the gut and it's got to be the right word. And the research shows the more words you have, the better. Um, yeah, labeling is, and labeling your different physical experiences, your different, you know, signals of this intuition or what the research calls visceral intelligence. Um, you know, the more of an expert someone is, the easier they can walk that, that beam at 30 feet, right? Or, or Walenda and his walking across the tightrope. But what happens, actually, what happens to a person that, 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 like, you learn to do something, you develop a physical um, feeling of what that is. You know, you're at Mark's 21 degrees. Um, and then it gets a little harder, and you do it, and you develop a new physical feeling that you can handle this. I mean, I just went through this this past winter, moving to a ski town. I mean, I used to be able to ski anything. And I like when we first got here, and this mountain's really steep, but I mean, I could barely ski the blues like back in November. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, but by the end of the season, the blacks, which are really double blacks here, which is if you're not a skier, that means harder and steeper. Like I'm going down the worst of the blacks that I couldn't even think about at the beginning of the season. And it's like, is this really steep? I'm not sure this is actually really that steep, you know, and it's like this. Um, but what happened? Like I little by little, I developed this feeling. Uh, of, of confidence, but what is that? It's the prediction that I'll be fine. Even in the midst of challenge, 
you know, you develop this physical sense that you'll be fine. That's really what happens with expertise, this physical sense that you know what's going on. Uh, we, I was talking last night with the CIO about times in the past where he had gotten into his global macro and where he'd gotten into some series of trades to express his opinion and they weren't working. But could he remember at some of those cases, you know, in a very long career, could he remember like just feeling fine? Like I get that it's not working right now. I know why it's not working. I'm not worried that things are against me. You know, it's going to come together versus other times where same situation, except his feeling was, oh, my God, oh, my God, like what's happening? You know, and he could relate to that. And that's the difference between like he had intuition in case one read this sort of calm, I'm okay, even though the screen's red, versus, oh my God, I'm not okay, like close the positions or whatever, hedge them or, you know, this this calm versus urgent. Now, he never thought of the difference, but that really is, in my opinion, intuition versus impulse. Those two different physical states, back to the temperature analogy, that'd be like, you know, I'm comfortable versus I'm really hot. And oh my God, I got to do something. Um, it feels a little bit like you saying, I've been here before and trust yourself to get out of it. Yeah. I mean, when you say that, what you're actually trying to accomplish from a brain research point of view is creating a different feeling for yourself but particularly a different prediction. So the, the cutting edge of brain research is both, we're always predicting based on past experience, always, like you're predicting the next words that are gonna come out of my mouth right now, if we put your brain scan, scanners. Um, but particularly we are predicting future feelings. And at baseline, like, are we gonna be safe or are we gonna be in danger in the future? It's called anticipatory affect, meaning you're anticipating a future affect or a feeling. Um, and like with your tightrope analogy, you know, the person who can do that is predicting, like, I've been here before. I know how to do this. I'll be fine. And with that cognitive instruction, you know, modulating their prediction of their future safety. So, sounds like a reframe. Well, it's very much like a reframe, but the thing about it, there's a, there's a really, maybe not so subtle, but really crucial difference. So there's a lot of good advice about reframing, right? Like you think about some situation that's annoying you or bothering you, whatever, and then you realize there's a different perspective and then you're fine. But what's really going on? You're agitated and worried, like with the first perspective. You change your cognition about it and it changes the feeling about it. The leverage is in the changed feeling, not in the changed cognition. But a lot of people get stuck and think the changed cognition is supposed to change how they feel. Like, and this would be back to the temperature thing. You know, it, it sort of ends up working like, okay, I'm feeling really hot, but no, I know it's only, I'm going to use, you know, US temp, it's only 72 degrees in here, I'm fine. Except it really is hot. So what happens is sometimes people try to use reframing and it doesn't work because it's only in their head. It's only intellect, it's only cognition. And they don't understand why it doesn't work because it's supposed to work. But if they realize that the objective of the reframing is to change their feelings, which is usually their confidence, right? You go from being concerned to being confident. Sometimes just realizing that it's supposed to change their feeling can help them change the feeling because they're thinking about the feelings. And when you think about the feelings, you basically have more control over your behavior and a higher probability that you can create the feeling you need to do the thing that you want. <laughs> I hope I'm making sense. It's also clear to me, but I'm not necessarily the best sometimes at, at outlining it. I mean, at the end of the day, it, you know, it's funny. It doesn't matter whether it's trading or investing or sports or even other fields. Like I did I actually did a podcast yesterday with Brian Keating that I met through you all. 
And we were talking about this, like intuition versus impulse and scientific discovery. You know, it's a human thing. To to your point about the tightrope and my point about skiing, it's the same. Like whenever we initially encounter something, we have to go like in this linear cognitive step-by-step, how do you do this thing, whatever it is, you know, any anything, any sport, anything we learned in school, it starts out like, and then the more we know about it, the less it's up here and the more it's in here. The more of an expert someone is, like the more that expertise exists in their body and their access to it is through their feelings. So like with athletes, they say, you know, athletes get in trouble if they think too much. Why? Because they're just supposed to be operating out of that physical sense that their body is giving them. No, I love this in the game, the sense that you've got a, uh, a toolkit that you can refer to kind of like automatically as you go about your, your behavior. Uh, and I'm throwing another analogy, you know, the sort of the, um, the uh, ocean tanker sort of captain going out to sea, facing whatever storms are out there and doesn't know what's coming, doesn't know what currents are out there, very much like markets, right? But there's this confidence that he's got lifeboats. Right. You know, and he's got, he's got lifeboats and he's got process around safety. Right. Um, it gives him the confidence to go to sea and just take on whatever comes. And I think that that, from an inner game perspective, if you have uh, worked on building these various tools and tokens and guardians or whatever you want to call them that become your support package right. as a person. I think that changes dramatically your mindset when, when you face complexity because your coping mechanism is already coping when these things are, are coming up. And so the residual coping problem be- becomes quite minimal because you just push through these difficulties. So I think, you know, commitment and work around understanding, well, how do you build and where do you build and how can you build these various things that we talk about collectively to support oneself in complex, fluid, fast-moving environments, sport yeah. or whatever. And I think that having the confidence of having that toolkit allows people to be in the zone more. Yeah, totally. They've got that baggage of negative expectation because they just know they're going to cope. Yeah, yeah. Well, it reminds me of of two situations, but one was last year, you know, when we talked last, I had this portfolio manager who is very conservative, um, was very familiar with what was going on in Asia and Italy at at that time. So it's last February, 2020, when of course the market's making new highs and had a decent sized short position. And he's a pretty, like I said, pretty conservative and was just, like freaking out, like, oh my God, you know, the market's never going to recognize how serious this virus is. And I have to have a good year because I didn't have a good year last year and my investors will pull out, et cetera, et cetera, all the stuff I'm sure you've heard. Um, And I did something I always do, which is what's the worst that can happen? And like guide the person through what they really feel is the worst that can happen, which oftentimes they're not totally consciously aware of. You know, they and we did that, which caused him to then say, okay, if if I had to get out of all of this at my kind of stop losses where he'd already, you know, I'd lose like one and a half percent of the fund, which is not good. But he's like, if I'm right, you know, I'm going to make like five percent. Super anxious, super conservative guy. And he was able through that. What is the worst that's happening? which showed him what his tool, like his guardrail. And he realized he could tolerate it. And he gritted his teeth and closed his eyes and increased the size of his position and absolutely killed it over the next couple, three weeks. But it's exactly what you said. I mean, he had tools in place. You know, he had maximum loss you know, orders in and whatnot. It was him realizing that those tools would keep him essentially safe. You know, a little battered and bruised, but was willing to take that risk for the possible reward. Um, But again, that is confidence in what will happen. That's this prediction 
that you'll still be safe if the worst happens. Um, which also back to the intuition, when you're able to realize like um, what your worries are about the future and label them back to Stevens, where it calms you down and gives you more access to that physical knowledge of intuition. You know, you gotta assume you've always got some intuition and some irrelevant impulse energy, you know, and you you wanna be, um, that's what I'm looking for, you know, you wanna be at a minimum tolerating the impulse, irrelevant feelings, naming them so you can kind of calm them down so that you can hear that other that other piece of information that is your expertise coming through. Now, we've got this whole problem in that intuition has been labeled, you know, as, as impossible in many, right? Like in a cognitive behavioral finance way, we're, we're, we're always wrong. We have all these biases. Daniel Kahneman's coming out with a new book tomorrow called Noise. There's all this noise. So we've misunderstood ourselves, really, because we will talk about, you know, in sports, we'll talk about passion and grit. And in trading, we'll talk about intuition and conviction. I mean, have you ever been in a hedge fund that doesn't talk conviction? Well, what's conviction? It's actually a strong emotion that's something that you're right. It's a belief that, you know, the price may not be going my way, but I seriously believe, i.e., I'm predicting that I'm right, i.e., I'm confident, that's the feeling, that my analysis is going to, you know, come true and other market participants are going to see it and the price is going to change in my direction. That's a, those are all feelings. Those are all physical. But people don't know, you know, it's a skill to be able to tell what's intuition and what's impulse, what's information and what's irrelevant. Jennifer Lerner of Harvard, and I'm, I'm probably gonna forget, she calls it incidental, meaning irrelevant, or um, information, I think she uses information. She's got another, integral. Jennifer Lerner of Harvard's, and she's done a lot of work on emotions and risk decisions. She's like, look, the information is either incidental, you know, irrelevant, or it's integral, meaning it's important to what you're doing. And the, the trick is to get that skill to be able to tell the difference. I think there are, are different terms for for what different people call this or how how they yeah how they express it. But you know, I think I mean often you know emotions are a key part of our decision making, but we are often afraid to express that to say that. You know. I, I can remember a time where I had, um, going back to my trading days quite a few years ago, and uh, I was working at a bank and I had a, I had a really large position on. I was at my full limit, full VAR limit, full risk usage. And the, the, the overall head of trading came up to me and said, Steve, why, why have you got so much risk on? Why is this position so big? Where's it come from? And there were lots of different inputs into it. There always are. But ultimately, there was a feeling that took me into that position that, you know, these different senses, these, I intuited it. And it led me into this trade, but I couldn't right. say that. You know, I couldn't turn around to him and say, oh, it's just a gut feeling. Or To my point early on about when I first started talking about this and people started coming up to me and saying, I was doing this, but I couldn't tell anybody. You know, I had to decide, do I come up with some sort of narrative? I could have made up a narrative there on the spot. I think I did, in fact about interest rates and inflation. And it sounded really intelligent and really wise and really smart. It was complete BS. And it turned out to complete BS. I, actually, the trade was a fantastic trade and I made a lot of money on it. But the narrative which I constructed to be able to explain my position and my risk to him was not only rubbish and made up on the spur of the moment, it, it, it wasn't... You know, if you look at how the market reacted after I'd got out of it over the next few weeks, you can see what I said was complete nonsense and the market didn't believe that. It was just, a, I think, a liquidity squeeze. And, um, you know, this is the problem, you know, because I, ironically, I remember starting to believe it myself after a while. 
you know, started to believe that narrative. And that's where it gets dangerous. <laughs> well, you know, you just gave a perfect example of what I was talking about five or 10 minutes ago, about when you first learn something, you have to do it cognitively, linearly, step by step. You know, so some if there was some point in your life where you didn't know anything about charts or technical analysis or interest rates or currencies or bonds or anything, you know any of that. Somewhere along the line, you were educated in those. And at that point, and literally you just described that like your education that was originally cognitive and linear, and then you had experience with it. And as that happened, all of that went from here to here, meaning your head into your body. And you no longer needed to do, you know, two plus two plus six plus eight plus equals. Your body just did that for you immediately and unconsciously based on all of your experience, learning and experience, which is expertise has become physical. We will return to the podcast shortly. First, a quick word about our podcast sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by the Society of Technical Analysts, the STA. We are delighted to be able to promote their brilliant STA technical analysis home study course. Listeners to the Alphaman podcast interested in studying for the home study course can get an exclusive discount by visiting the Alphaman blog page where they can find a link to the home study course at the top of the page. Go to alphamineblog.blogspot.com or just Google Alphaman blog. Now back to this week's podcast. You you know Denise, I love the idea of the body keeps the score. That 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 particular term, and I'd love to hear your opinion of the brain and really the, the, this broader concept, the brain, heart, gut. But how the brain processes all these feelings that we have of the the, the left right brain perspective, and of course I'm unconscious that the left brain left right brain idea is is a metaphor rather than a true reflection of the physiology of it so um any thoughts on that well you're right that the left left right is is just a metaphor and not really true now like there's a whole bunch of things that aren't really true now like we don't even have certain parts of our brain you know like depending on the individual different kinds of subjective experiences will be experienced in different parts of their brain i mean here's a funny one if you were born speak and then initially spoke an asian language versus english or whatever dramatic, I guess it is, you do two plus two equals four in a different way in your brain. Like, so what's, what we're now learning is, you know, we basically use our whole brain and, and this is where actually the behavioral finance people kind of got it wrong. Is like, we don't, it's not that we have this prefrontal cortex that's doing this reasoning that's, you know, controlling or, you know, modulating the emotions left over from hunter gatherers. It's not what's happening. Um, nevertheless, a lot of people don't have access to this physical knowledge, which can exist as a calm feeling, you know, a little bit more intense feeling, a little bit higher temperature to a very intense feeling. Like in a way, your trade there, when you were sure you were right, I bet it felt calm, but there was also like a, you know, like steel in it, like you were sure. So that had a certain intensity to it. The trade I was talking about earlier was one where I would describe myself as being totally in the zone. And yet it was probably the calmest I'd ever been. Yeah. And, you know, I had, I think what I would describe as my largest position ever on at the time. And it it was really strange. And, um, you know, I don't know if exactly was like this at the time, but in recollection, it feels like I had a, a, almost a, a degree of complete certainty that it was going to unfold like that. Not, not perhaps mentally, but physically. That's how I, how I recollect it. And I don't think you should ever have a complete degree of certainty about anything in trading. But yet the body kind of reacted like it was in a way that was almost, uh, you know, it rarely happens to me. I think that's what you call being totally in the zone. Um, so that, 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 is, that is what I was talking about. People have it all. I mean, I can tell you from this side of the coaching chair, and you all probably know it. I mean, plenty of skilled PMs get that. Not every day, obviously, you know. Um, The question then becomes, how do you get it, you know? And I think, like, first is to decide it's a valid form of knowledge. And I mean, I can just tell everyone, there's enormous amounts of research that intuition is valid regardless of what anyone says. 
it's a skill of figuring out when you actually have an intuition that is unconscious pattern recognition based on your expertise and experience versus what's something else. You know, what's a need to make more money today, a need to make the money back, afraid you'll lose too much, you know, fear of missing out because the other guys are in the position. And the only way you do this is start putting these things into words without any judgment. So keeping track of what every trade entry and exit feels like and building essentially what I think of as a dictionary on yourself so that you can say, you know, you'll get a little inkling of a feeling that oftentimes is saying, don't do that. And you respect it. You know, you can say, I don't even know why I feel that way, but I believe that like somehow my unconscious is seeing a danger signal here. That feels different than like fear of future regret or fear of missing out or, you know, a whole bunch of other emotions that we could categorize and, and define. The trick is like whatever it feels like to me could be totally different than what it feels like to you, either one of you. And we're never, ever, 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 ever going to know, you know, because I can't be inside your subjective experience or, nor me, but we can use words to describe it to help people figure it out for themselves. I'm going to make a point which might sound contentious, but um, that point is that, you know, I don't think most people know what their edge is. They think they know what their edge is, but rarely is that really their edge. Um, and, and as an example, you think about most people think their system is their edge. Right. Uh, but actually, it's much deeper than that. Right. You know, usually their system isn't unique. Rarely is it right. unique. And, and quite often you hit people who have used someone else's system and they've tried to enact it in exactly the same way that person yeah. does and it doesn't work for them. And that's because the person who had the original system who thinks it was, it's, who thinks it's the system is adding something of themselves to it, something that they intuit, something that is part of their being that no one else can replicate. And they can't even tell that person because they don't even know themselves. Yeah. Well, and the person who it's working for has a set of feelings about it yeah. that were developed over the time they developed it. And then has a set, you know, beliefs and a sense of confidence of how it's going to work out. And the person who learned it doesn't have that. And they don't have the same unconscious pattern recognition mm -hmm. because they didn't go through the steps. I mean, back to a sport, you know, I can tell any of you exactly what to do to ski. If you don't ski, and even if you do, you're not going to be able to do exactly what I say. Like it might, it, it just doesn't work like that. You know, the knowledge doesn't get translated body to body. The only way you get the, the physical is knowledge, the expertise in your body is to go through a process to get it there. And that process isn't, listening to someone else's cognitive linear explanation. I mean, I often say, you know, if you take a trade from someone else, even if it seems like you get in at the same time, and even if it seems like you get out at the same time, they might make money and you won't. It's bizarre how that happens, but it does. It's damn annoying for anyone who's trying to learn this game and learn from somebody else's system or book. Yeah. And, and they're almost trying to cut their emotions out of the process as much as yeah, possible. Yeah, totally. And, and they're, they're, they're cutting off the access to the greatest edge they could develop. I always tell people, you need to sit down on a Saturday afternoon and not in front of your charts with an open notebook and write out, like, what is the market? And how does it work? And what makes prices move? And come up with some metaphor or analogy that works for you. And then say, okay, if this is what it is, and those are my beliefs about what it is. Like, then how do I interact with that thing? I learned this from, you know, Tom Canfield. I learned this from whomever, you know. But how do I take those things and interact with this thing the way I see it to be? People have an enormously hard time doing that exercise. So I'm going to ask something here. So we... You've got the unconscious level driving instinct, the subconscious driving intuition, the conscious driving insight and the conviction that then drives impulse to put on a trade. 
all those things are vital, right? Those things need to be on. But but what things turn all those things off? What could be turning those things off for people? And what do they need to turn them on? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So the well, the first thing that turns them off is people just, you know, have decided they're not going to listen to them, right? And they, and they have no belief that they should listen to them. But let's say they have a belief and then they have trouble accessing it or finding it because it's turned off. Well, like my guy last night, I told him this weekend to just try to think of every feeling he feels over the weekend and write them down so he could just see if he can access, you know, brain to body. I'll oftentimes in a, in a workshop or in a talk say, you know, I don't think you all have Home Depot in, in England, but in the United States, we have this huge Home Depot store that, you know, every husband has been told by every wife to go to Home Depot and buy, you know, these nine things on Saturday morning. The lines are long and the parking lot's packed and the people are surly. I'm like, okay, while you're doing that, I want you to say every feeling that you have. Because men who cannot access their feelings during a trade can access the fact that they are infuriated waiting in line at Home Depot to find, not get the thing that their wife said, you know. So it's like, give your, sports is another one. I mean, find the moment that you have access. Okay, that's like the plus side. The negative side is, okay, the the thing that turns them off or obscures them is the fear of missing out and the fear of future regret, and which often is, you know, the fear that you're going to be embarrassed or ashamed or you're going to fail. Like, get that stuff out in your journal, or, you know, like ha- either have somebody that you can really talk to about it that listens to it and doesn't judge you, like let you talk through that or use the, the journal so that you can just cord up put all those feelings into words, which will calm them down. You won't be so agitated. And then you have a chance of hearing that much calmer feeling. It's not exactly turn on, turn off, but it's, it's, it's navigate. Sure. But I guess there's also a state of stress, you know, you know if, if you're super stressed, you're seeing things in this small spotlight and all those things are turned off. But if you're calmed and well self-managed and guess proactively managing your state, then there's a higher chance those things are all going to be switched on. I literally tell people the skill is being able to accurately answer what am I feeling and why? It's an easy question for me to say. It's a hard question to actually do because even me, and I think I'm pretty damn good at this, sometimes don't know, like particularly in this lawsuit with billions, like what I feel sometimes or exactly why I feel something. It's hard sometimes, but the effort will usually, if you get start to get some of it right, the agitation pieces, the irrelevant impulsive pieces start to calm down and you start to hear that core, like unconscious pattern recognition. The key is no judgment. Not only can you have all of your thoughts and feelings, you shouldn't judge any of them. You're just looking for the information within them. And as you learn to find that, learn to separate that from the irritation or irrelevant, which is often about, you know, am I going to be successful or am I going to fail? It's like these worries, these normal human insecurities that are causing this agitated prediction of failure and embarrassment that's drowning out the intuition. I have another portfolio manager, very successful in one of those huge places that has like a trillion dollars. Um, Got a portfolio within that. Did really well in the first part of the pandemic and then, of course, fought it like so many people. I have a number of clients. I don't know if you guys do, too, that, you know, got the downturn and then fought the upturn and, you know, are off kilter this year, which is a super confusing year. Um, Literally, I spend most of my time with him, like just getting him back to, okay, you know, this is what you know. This is what you believe. How, How will you feel if you don't? put positions on based on that intuition and beliefs. And it turns out to be right. Versus you do put positions on in whatever the market changes and you're wrong. The truth is he'll feel worse in the second scenario. If he really overrides his intuition and doesn't make the money, then he will feel if he goes with his intuition and for whatever reason in this very confusing year of what's really going on, the market changes and he doesn't make money. So what happens is he ends up comparing future feelings, which is also a good thing everyone can do. 
if I do this, I'll feel like that. If I do that, I'll feel this other way. Because that's really what your unconscious is using. And if you get those different future feelings out in different scenarios, the chances that you choose the one that gets you the thing you want goes up once you know it. This is great stuff, Denise and Mark. And I, I hope our audience are getting the full benefit of this conversation we're having because these are aspects of trading which don't get talked about enough. You know, there's there's this 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 whole school which tries to intellectualize trading and it's a performance activity you know and I, i'm it, it's it's behavioral skills you know you don't have to know everything about the market you know i'm thinking of mark's mark's ship analogy from earlier on you know who would you rather learn from the person who's read a thousand books about shipping but never steered a ship or the person who steered a thousand ships but never read a book I know which one I'd go for. You know, there is no substitute for experience. And many of the best traders, you know, extraordinary individuals, extraordinary traders that I've I've worked with and 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 got to know have never studied beyond school. Even they are smart, often street smart, but they have they're not intellectual and they're not afraid of that at all. They have no fear or resistance to talking about the parts of us that right. don't equate to or relate to intellect or analytical skills. Yeah, yeah. I, I run into that all the time where you've got people that have got, you know, they went to University of Pennsylvania in the United States because that's where they all go, you know, and they're trained in this fundamental analysis and like, and they have a CFA and they think, you know, they don't, like I never had this also, like I have one portfolio manager who's always complaining about his analysts, like, and I'm like, we need to get them all to read reminiscences of a stock operator. And he literally, we're talking about that he may have his whole analyst group read that. And I may do like a book club discussion with them because they just don't get it. They're like, this model is supposed to drop out this number and the stock is supposed to go to that price, like in, you know, 90 days. And when it doesn't work like that, they're like, what's wrong with the model? It's not about the model. It's about you are predicting other people's future perception, which is predicting other people's future feelings. And it's a lot more like the ocean and the waves and you need to learn to surf, (laughs) which is physical. But it's really, they have a real resistance to it. I always suggest reading Ford by Randomness and maybe any book by Taleb. And (laughs) once you've read it enough, then they'll go, wow, that was really heavy. Good, but really heavy. I say, well, I'd suggest reading it again or reading any of his other books or books by Annie Duke or, you know, Michael Mabusan or, or anyone who writes on those themes because that's where you're going to really start to internalise what this, this this job is all about. You know, this game is sport, not intellect. It's It's about, you know, learn how to be for this environment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You're given this wild environment in which anything can happen. I mean, it's way worse than surfing or the weather, because at least in surfing or the weather, you pretty much can have some idea what's going to happen. You know, we're in the market, obviously. And that's what, by the way, why it's so hard. It is unlike anything else. Like, and it's so much easier than sport. Sport, you know how long the game lasts. You know, you know, if you're winning or losing. You know, if the ball's on the other side of the court, you you know, it's not good. You don't know any of those things. Game goes on forever, never ends. Is it the sport? Is the, is the score going to change while at that level of uncertainty, which is, by the way, all the more reason that you need to develop your intuition because you can't navigate that chaos, that crazy uncertainty without having some unconscious pattern recognition, at least not successfully. All three of us are coaches, right? We must have all met these people who resist opening up when we're talking about trading. They, they, they just want to stay on the straight, linear, systematic, intellectual path. It's it's so ingrained in them. And they, they, they feel almost like they can't go to these places. And, and as coaches, you know, we face this resistance. And that is really what we're trying to open up. No, totally. Because that very same resistance they have to that, to discussing it with us, is often what is actually holding them back. And it is huge. And when, when, you, when you can show them that, 
then they start to get it. Starts, you see their mind, their eyes move in a certain way. And there's a, a little pin has dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just go silent. Well, yeah. I mean, I would say my... I can think of one portfolio manager who is kind, who in 2019 really resisted. Like he didn't really, he sort of resisted. Like whenever it got to the really important part, all of a sudden we had to talk about interest rates or whatever. Now he, he's back this year realizing, no, he's got to talk about the really important part. But like I have a guy in private equity, slightly different, obviously. Talk about chiseling away, like. But I mean, people have been taught they shouldn't feel their feelings and they're really afraid of what will happen if they do. Um, so that's the thing to kind of help them lose a little bit of that fear. They're, they're, they're afraid they'll act them out. They're afraid they'll be overwhelmed. They're afraid they'll be embarrassed. By the way, while we were talking, I just saw a book up there. Do you all know Jason Boss? Anyway, there's a book called The Intuitive Investor. It literally just caught my eye on my bookshelf um, by Jason Voss, who talks, he, he retired from managed portfolio, but he talks about how he made his best, this was like 15 years ago, made his best decisions using his intuition. Um, there's another one by Ravi Mehta um, called The Emotionally Intelligent Investor. He was a former Soros guy. My client last night was talking about Soros and his back pains and whatnot. And so I brought up Robbie's book. I mean, there are, my point being, there's a decent sized number of successful professionals in the market who can talk about using their intuition. It's not just us coaching people. But you don't hear about either one of those books every day, right? No, it's interesting that... uh... It's gradually being revealed, isn't it, the, the, the need to pay attention to what has had some degree of stigma about it, you know, this showing the emotion side. I always try to talk about natural state. Um, you know, when, when we're born, you know, we're, we, we can laugh before we can speak and we can dance before we can actually walk if you hold a child up there don't and we can and we get motivated and we're happy for music and stuff like that and you know we get driven and we're happy to try things fall over get up and start again and we kind of lose that as we get older but a lot of those skills are like super important you know because you know showing feeling crying laughing um you know drives us to you know just carry on um and getting back into that natural state I, I think is really important for, for all of us. Uh, yeah. In that natural state, of course, it's where all the eyes come from. All the eyes are freely available you know, the, 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 that we've been speaking about are in of, uh, accessible in that natural state. So it's kind of like we want to unlock them from being locked up through the baggage of the years to actually mm-hmm. use them now as kind of like actually they are kind of like our natural superpowers that that, 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 mm-hmm. that that should be accessible. I'm going to go out on a limb here because I don't think he'll mind. And I know how popular Tom's podcast, you know, everyone knows that Tom Canfield and I are close and everyone knows he's a great trader. And, you know, that's why he was such a popular guest for you guys. But sometimes when things don't go well for him, um, he he will then cut himself off from his feelings. And so as his friend, I mean, I don't actually – formally coach him or anything. I like try to help him through that. But at those moments, he kind of goes like, he's a little bit afraid of, I mean, he's obviously can get mad and swear up a storm on Twitter and probably did on your podcast, but he does have a side of him too, that, that won't let him go back to that natural self. It's certain moments. Um, It's common, you know, it's a defense mechanism. Like at that moment, it feels to him or to other people that the same thing happens to you. Like if I let myself go there, like the world's going to explode, you know? And so they shy away. They're basically afraid of the feeling. Like, so you, you have the feeling in its core form is trying to give you a piece of information. Like all feelings in their pure form are giving you a piece of information, but you're afraid of the feeling 
So you, you miss the information and your psyche makes the feeling bigger and louder and more disruptive and more agitating. There's actual research that shows, this was done like 15 years ago and it was again, one of the first pieces I used, where if it's a feeling about something that doesn't matter that much, and I always use the going to your mother-in-law's for Thanksgiving in the United States, like you have to get through the afternoon. You can talk yourself out of the feeling. But if it's a feeling about something that matters, like your P&L, or are you going to win the game? You can't talk yourself out of it. And the more you try to talk yourself out of it or stay defended against knowing it, the actually more intense and disruptive it gets. And then what happens is you eventually act it out because you're not feeling it or being conscious of it. And then you do it. And then you're like, why did I do that again? Because you were too afraid of putting the feelings into words and sorting through what's the information and the intuition and what's not. And event, your psyche like made it bigger and bigger and bigger, trying to get your attention. But you couldn't tolerate it, so you just did it. Because then we take action, it makes the feeling kind of go away. There's a whole different way. And if you use the whole different way, you'll be able to access your intuition more. That's fantastic. You know, as I'm thinking about that, and as you were describing that, I'm thinking of times when I say, over the years, I've lost it in situations that, you know, I, I've, I've hurt people and probably hurt myself more than I hurt other people. Um, and it's where the monster comes out inside you. You know, I've got a client um, who calls it the big green monster when he takes over, it takes him over. And, you know, at that point, his account is going to decline whether he, you know, there's nothing he can do about it. And he can't even see it in real time. And it's... You know, before he knows it, he's 20% down. He could develop the skill of, I'm afraid this is going to go wrong. I'm afraid I'm going to look stupid. I'm afraid I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm afraid whatever it is, fill in the blank for him. Now he's disinclined to say, you know, I feel like I'm going to whatever, look like an idiot. But he's probably frantically then trying to avoid that. And if he could mm. just realize that he's predicting this future humiliation, he could be able to stop the behavior that would ultimately humiliate him anyway, that being down 20%. Yeah. And we see that in sport. Great sports people are able to do that. Um, you know, I, I always remember watching Andy Murray. You know, obviously a British tennis player, it's quite a rare thing to have a successful British tennis player. So as we watched him come through and develop and get very close to that top group of, you know, Federer, Djokovic and, and um, Nadal, Nadal, and he was never quite able to get there. He would always just kind of get to semis or finals, and, but he would lose it. And when he lost it, when he would lose it lower down where it didn't matter so much against a less skilled player, he could recover. When he lost it against these players, there was no coming back. You know, they were ruthless and they were merciless. And I then watched him change coaches and work with Ivan Lendl. And then suddenly you'd see him in games do the same mistakes that he would do previously. But you saw him just check himself for a second and not lose it. And that's suddenly when he started winning, you know, Grand Slam titles and, you know, until he had his injury, he was up there with these other guys for a few years. Yeah, I mean, I know the name, but I'm not even a tennis fan, so he got somewhere. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, it can be done. And obviously, I think Lendl worked with him on that. And it was, you know, you can deal with those mistakes in a different way. You can process them, you know, and you cannot let the monster come out. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this and then probably given the time you told me, we're going to, we probably need to end. But um, so I, we've been working as Rethink Group with a Major League Baseball pitcher in the United States. And... It, Thanksgiving, he came to visit me. It's the first time I ever met him, spent three hours, you know, doing a consult. And I'm explaining this to him. I'm like, okay, when the umpire, you know, calls it a, a ball, when you know it was a strike, I bet you get mad. But, he, oh, no, no, I don't get mad. I just keep even keeled. And I'm thinking, so I start describing how he could say to himself, you know, I'm angry at this umpire. That wasn't fair. And just put it into words for a second before he takes the next pitch, because otherwise it's kind of derailing. And he says to me, that's what, and I'm going to not say the pitcher's name, that's what he does. And that other pitcher is like off the charts great. 
And then I'll say one more thing about that. A, a few years ago, I gave a, a talk at a, a big sports conference, and there was the head of player performance for another baseball team in the United States. And I said this, I said, you can teach your athletes to treat their negative emotions differently, and then you can get the next level of performance out of him, out of them. That was my ending of my talk. The next morning I'm in the elevator and this guy says, that was fabulous. Thank you so much. And I said, I probably shouldn't have said the thing about anger because I actually said, teach them to use their anger. He goes, no, no, that was the best part. And my best pitcher, who still is in the top of pitchers, because that's exactly what he does. Like, you're going to get these feelings and you need, like, you're angry because you were mistreated if the umpire miscalls it. You need to at least recognize that's reality. And then once you recognize it, you can go back. But if you don't, you just act it out and the ball goes every which way. And on that note. <laughs> on that note, listen, it's just been great, Denise. You, you, and the last time when we spoke, you were putting on some programs and courses for people. And I, I guess COVID probably disrupted. Yeah, that. although we're, so we're, yeah, um, not, speaking of talking at the beginning of COVID and the end of COVID, we're actually going to do the workshop we were going to do then here in Sun Valley in August. Fantastic. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah. Are you fully subscribed at the moment? We're not. All that, we only have, a, it's going to be really small. It's going to be like a dozen people and we have like 10. So, um, but you know, people make decisions at the last minute and with travel and what, and there's some people like, we don't know if the Canadians can come yet or not. So, I mean, I still have a handful of spaces. Right. Okay. So, and how could people find out about that if they're interested or want to know more for next year? It's on our website under training and workshops. So yeah, the rethinkgroup.net and there's a training and workshop section in there. It's Sun Valley, Idaho, which is actually a very cool place that has hiking and biking and golf. And um, I can't remember the exact dates, but they're like the second week in August. So it's going to be pretty intense. And of course, I will say that. Sounds brilliant. And of course, you, 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 for anyone listening, you authored one of the best books on mindset markets, intuition, emotions in trading, which is Market Mind Games, um, which uh, I kind of had a bit of resurgence the last couple of years. Is that correct? Based on my royalty checks, it seems like it has. Fantastic. Fantastic. Is, have you got any more plans to, for a follow-up? I do, I, but I keep – I have a second book in the work, works called Predict, which is really meant to show people how we're always predicting a future feeling, and, like, literally that's the secret to improving your decision and performance is figuring that out and, and then knowing what to do with it. But I wouldn't hold my, I wouldn't hold my breath. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, listen, I'll hand over to Mark. Any, any final thoughts, Mark? Well, it's just a tremendous chat. I'm delighted that we've managed to give Denise some further anecdotes that she can uh, use in, in her, in her storytelling as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, emotionally driven decisions are vital, you know, turning up temperature to make a decision and getting back to normal as quickly as possible to avoid the market owning you and the, the whole concept of trading hypothermia is, is, is really interesting. But, you know, to access and label your feelings so that you can navigate high risk trading environments effectively has been one of the really, really big messages that kept on coming through. Um, in this podcast and being honest with yourself, you know, about the yeah, really, really being honest with you. Yeah. That's like just cutting to the chase. Yeah. I think just being honest that um, they're going to show up and accept them, sort of move with them and I guess carry on. So yeah, we've learned so much and I'm sure the audience are going to get huge uh, value from this. So Denise from, from London to some Valley, we wish you a very nice weekend. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me back. Thank you for listening to this week's AlphaMind podcast. If you have enjoyed this podcast or any of our past podcasts, we would be delighted if you could rate the podcast on whichever service you use or even better, leave a review. Thank you also to our podcast sponsor, the Society of Technical Analysts, the STA. You can go to technicalanalysts.com to find out more about their services and to explore becoming a member of the STA. 
As a reminder, at Out for Mind, we focus on trader and investor personal growth and development. We offer coaching programs which are geared towards developing the key human personal and behavioral skills that are so vital in helping people grow their performance and take their trading or investing to a higher level. Our clients come from a range of backgrounds from across the world. These include leading portfolio managers working at some of the world's largest hedge funds, asset management firms and sovereign wealth funds. We also work with investment banks and some of the world's largest commodity and energy trading businesses. Our clients also come from a myriad of other backgrounds, including family offices, proprietary trading firms, as well as many serious private retail traders. In addition to trade and investor coaching, our services extend to executive, leadership and team coaching with a specialist focus on financial markets, investment and risk businesses. To know more about our services, visit our webpage alpha-mind.net or email us info at alpha-mind.net or visit the Alpha Mind blog page for more contact information. If you would like to sign up for our regular newsletter, you can do so on the page link at the top of the Alpha Mind blog and you can also listen to our podcasts on our new Alpha Mind YouTube channel. Finally, you can follow us and connect with us on social media. We are active on LinkedIn in our own names, Stephen Goldstein and Mark Randall, or through the Alpha Mind group on LinkedIn, which is over 15,000 members. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handles are AlphaMind101 and AlphaMind102. We wish you well, stay safe and have a great week.